Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 54th episode, it's the return of Annie Creighton, and the return of yelling about gay robots in space. Along the way, we discussed the correct name for a nitro-burning funny car made out of a sarcophagus, unforgivable bullshit in baby clothes, and the pressures of being the girl one. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? I am Annie Creighton. I am on social media as Annie Zard. And what makes me a special unique snowflake is... Hmm. That's usually not meant to be a puzzler, but I can probably help you out. You do a podcast, several podcasts. I do. I do have podcasts. I know a lot about cartoons that I probably shouldn't remember. And glam rock. And glam rock. I, <laughs> I know about Mummies Alive. <gasps> We could talk about Mummies Alive. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give a very short introduction for you, and then we're going to talk about Mummies Alive, because Mummies Alive is important. <laughs> okay. So yeah, listeners might remember Annie from her previous episode, where she talked about her personal childhood role models, who included Scrooge McDuck and Skeletor, and all kinds of interesting things. But Annie is also known for being on The Gem Jam, which is a podcast that recaps every episode of Gem and the Holograms, and the comics, which are amazing, and you should be reading them. And Annie also has a podcast called I Will Fight You, where Annie gets really mad and happy about stuff, like the Swan Princess Christmas. Oh my god, Swan Princess Christmas. Did you know there's like seven movies now? Well, considering that your podcast is my primary source of information on the Swan Princess movies, I know what you know. <laughs> there's like three more CGI ones now. They've done the thing that Richard Rich is doing with like the freaking Alpha and Omega Wolf movies, where he's just like supplementing a second generation and going all freaking JoJo on this. <laughs> so now they're about like Odette's adopted daughter. <laughs> They've gone the full Land Before Time. Yeah, we're going into Land Before Time territory by way of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I always have a soft, like, thing is, those Land Before Time sequels are garbage. But I have a soft spot for Land Before Time because I saw that first one in the theater. And when Littlefoot's mom died, that got real intense. Land Before Time was the movie that, like, you know how there's a point in, like, a little kid's life where they fixate on watching the same thing over and over again? I do, yes. Land Before Time was the fixate thing for me. That was the thing that I learned to use the rewind button on the VCR for. <laughs> over and over and over again. And how often did you adopt the ducky speech pattern, and how much did your parents want to murder you for it? It was mostly my older brother. <laughs> Every so often, apropos of nothing, my brother will sometimes just go like, Daddy? Sarah? Daddy? Sarah? <laughs> 
Yeah, in no way would that get annoying. No, I, I can't imagine. Probably was a whole lot like the time when my parents told me that I was a big enough girl that I could go into the enchanted tiki room again by myself. Ooh. They just wait for me out there. Keep in mind, this is before they shortened the enchanted tiki room show to be like eight minutes long. This is when it was like 20. <laughs> I liked the enchanted tiki room a lot. See, I just like tiki stuff in general, but I have never been to Disneyland or Disney World. Oh. I've only been to Tokyo Disney Sea, which was amazing, but did not have an enchanted tiki room. It did have an entire building to be under the sea, little rides and stuff. And I got to watch Kimiko's face transform. And then for the rest of the day, she would just quietly mutter to herself, under the sea, under the sea. <laughs> I've been to Tokyo Disney, but we did not go to Disney Sea. We could mm. only pick one park that day. And we went with the one that was oddly familiar. See, we did the thing where we were like, oh, we'll go to Tokyo Disney Sea in the morning, and then we'll go to Tokyo Disney in the afternoon. No, we didn't. We did not. <laughs> We just went deeper and deeper into the park, and eventually it was dark, and we are like, we're tired, we have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did eat a smoked chicken leg. Which was a chicken leg that tasted like a hot dog, which was the weirdest thing. But it was so good, I immediately went back and got another one. That sounds good. I'd be into that. And I did get to pose on a camel in Agrabah <laughs> with my bright purple sneakers, like I was in some kind of Kanye West video. That sounds appropriately like something that a freaking gaijin does in Disney. In Absolutely. Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> I was asked to take a lot of people's pictures. Are you tall? Are you a tall person or was this a relative height thing? I'm like 5'9", so it's a relative height thing. So yes. Uh, but also I had like three cameras hanging off me at any one time. So I think I could be seen to be trustworthy with someone else's camera. <laughs> so rocketing back to Mummies Alive, because I now have a chance to talk about Mummies Alive and how much I probably shouldn't but still do remember about Mummies Alive. What was the kid's name? What was the kid's name again? Remind me. Like the modern kid or Prince Rhapsody? Yeah, no, the, the reincarnation, obviously. Oh, you mean Presley Carnivan? Presley, thank you. A little boy named Presley found a secret out this year that he was once a pharaoh when Egyptians ruled the world. Now this evil guy, Game Scarab, tries to get him day and night. But Presley has more guardians to protect his very life. He has the mummies. Da, 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 da. He has the mummies. Protection for the new Rhapsies. He has the mummies. They're hanging by the western gate. He has the mummies. Is they're gonna save the day the Egyptian way Mommy's alive. <laughs> There's room in my brain for that. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. And you've forgotten your childhood phone numbers already. Dude, Mommy's Alive came on at a time when I was probably too old to be watching it and would watch it before school anyway because it was kind of beautiful and ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it was basically a Super Saiyan show, right? With the exception, actually, no, I wouldn't say that. You're better with you're better with genres because they no, it's more of a would it be more of a henshin show or because because they, they transform and they are a team, but they don't combine. I probably put it closer to like a i mean it was definitely like a cartoon tokusatsu definitely it took a lot of inspiration for. from power rangers mm -hmm. i don't know because my only tokusatsu comes from kamen rider and super sentai so i don't know about like any other series because like they transformed but they didn't have like a vehicle did they have vehicles <laughs> They did. They had a car, but the car didn't transform into anything. And I think I'm trying to remember, and I'm, my brain is only like throwing out Roadster, but there was something. Hang on. I'm going to Google this because I want to know. Because I can picture the car. Because at one point, Nefertina enters it into a street racing competition. That sounds about right. Because that's the kind of show this was. Yeah. No, don't autocomplete a cartoon. I want the car. Oh, yeah. It's a funny car, too. 
<laughs> built out of a sarcophagus. Oh, of course, of course. Was it called the sar the carcophagus? <laughs> Someone's positing it should be called the Mummy Mobile, but instead, oh, that's not very helpful. Guy who clearly made a website in two thousand and three. Spectacular. Oh, oh my God! This is even better. It's called the Hot Ra. No. It is. I'm sending you a photo right now. Not like the crypto car? Nope, nope. It's the hot raw. The hot raw. <laughs> how many hours were the writers locked in a room? Well, let's be honest. How many hours were the marketers locked in a room? <laughs> it's toyetic. Oh my god. Yep. It's got a snake head at the front, like nitro burning funny wheels. Oh my god. It's got a winged scarab as a spoiler. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Now that I'm a dad, I want this car to drop my kid off at school. <laughs> there's cool dad, and then there's drops my kid off in the hot raw from Mummies Alive, cool dad. Mummies Alive is one of those things that, like, there's definitely a certain sect of shows where you know and it all makes sense, but you realize objectively that if you just describe the premise to someone, you would sound like you were just making up words as you went along. For example, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. Do you know that one? Yeah, I do. I actually had the toys. I was a real big fan of Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. The toys were actually really good. And Well, because they were just like, okay, they weren't Ultraman. I remember that because I have looked this up over the years. I've looked up like Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad and Big Bad Beetleborgs to try and figure out like where this crap comes from. And VR Troopers. Somehow VR Troopers like totally passed me by. I think as a kid, I determined it was like a Super Nintendo versus Genesis thing and you had to pick mm. a side. The other thing people forget about Big Bad Beetleborgs is Flabber. <laughs> Fucking weird. The That's the thing about Big Bad Beetleborgs. It even came up in conversation with Chris Sims the other day and he described it as like four things at once. <laughs> Which is true. Big Bad Beetleborgs is another one of those shows that sounds like nonsense. It's about three kids who like comic books that look suspiciously like Japanese tokusatsu. They go to a haunted house and they released a ghost that looks like Jay Leno who lives in a house full of the universal monsters. Like there's a Dracula <laughs> and a Frankenstein. And somehow this gives them... He's a wish-granting ghost. <laughs> And he gives them comic book powers, but that also brings out the villains. And also they get superpowers too. Like out of costume superpowers. Beetleborgs is bananas. Yeah, it's nuts. And the thing is, I didn't realize Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad was in fact based on a Japanese property. I figured it was just a knockoff where they had done their own tokusatsu stuff. But I hadn't realized that it was based on a thing which I'm going to ask you to pronounce because you speak better Japanese than me. Denko Chojin Gridman. Gridman. Gridman is probably how it's said in the show. I it's apparently surprised. translated to Lightning Superman Gridman. <laughs> There's an animated short that is called that with the subtitle Boys Invent Great Hero, which... Why not? Factually inaccurate. Why not? But no, the Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad was great because the, the American stuff around it looked like something out of California Dreams or City Guys. It definitely all looked like it was like a live action cutscene from like a 1980s computer game. Yeah, and the thing is though, it didn't look like Power Rangers. The way it was shot looked much more like Saved by the Bell. Frame rate was different and it was always very close on the characters to not show that they didn't have much set behind them. And there was a wacky Beekman's World-esque sidekick character who had changed his catchphrase every episode, which I'm sure the marketers hated, which is why they wrote him off the show. <laughs> 
like Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, as I understand it, was held together by an absolute shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where, as I'm sure happened with the deke dub of Sailor Moon, they would often have to rewrite the story of the show based upon what kind of monster it was. And remember, these monsters are being created by a hacker that lives in a closet and wears only black who communes with Kilo Khan, voiced by Tim Curry. God, that's right. It was Tim Curry. Kilocon, who was basically the Shredder if the Shredder was a computer program. <laughs> and also Tim Curry. <laughs> like, there was just this period of time in the 90s where anything absolutely went as long as you could attach, like, a tokusatsu footage to it. Yeah, and Kilocon, I think his name was Malcolm, was the hacker, would create these viruses and th send them into stuff like hair dryers and things. So we didn't quite get a sexy lady hairdryer, but we got a monster <laughs> that would blow air at you and stuff. So it was pretty great. I just want to read because the Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad Wikipedia page has mm -hmm. some primo A plus Wikipedia writing. I've just sent you a Kilocon picture, by the way, in case you wanted to refresh your memory. Wow, that is exactly... Are we sure they didn't actually use that helmet for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the next mutation? Maybe it was hanging around somewhere. Sam sees that Malcolm is alone and tries to strike up a friendship with him, but Malcolm rejects his offer stating that he likes being alone. The only exceptions to that rule are in his master's voice when Malcolm was touched by Sidney's apology and in Kilocon is coming to town when he finally realizes that his selfish nature nearly cost Sam his life. <laughs> Sam, comma, his life. Yeah. Also, Malcolm has a very strong dislike of Tanker and is intimidated by Mrs. Starkey. I mean, and who wouldn't be? <laughs> yeah, she sounds terrible. In spite of Kilo Khan regularly betraying him or lacking any other friends, air quote friends, Malcolm <laughs> always comes back to him. He even purposely restores Kilo Khan to his sociopathic self after he's temporarily rendered harmless. In the alternate universe version, Malcolm is a generous and caring person who likes to help people, unlike alternate Yoli, who takes pleasure from harming others. This is the bullet point log line about this character, BT Dubs. <laughs> I like that even in like the story Bible description, they've already got a mirror universe version. Of course, it's that kind of show. <laughs> it is amazing. Oh my god, at the top paragraph, I'm sorry, listeners, we're just going to read from this Wikipedia for a while because this is pretty <laughs> great. The last line of the second paragraph of this wiki says, More than anything else, this was a quick-to-market slam dunk to capitalize on the upsurge in popularity of imported monster robot shows which could be adapted into new, regionalized live-action footage. Did they pull that from, like, the pitch doc? A quick-to-market slam dunk does sound a bit like a <laughs> mid-90s pitch document. <laughs> Oh man, this thing ran alongside Power Rangers, Beetleborgs, the Spider-Man cartoon, and the X-Men cartoon. Not looking too good now. Although I think if you're beating bits and bites out of digital monsters, you don't have to worry about avoiding saying blood and having your vampires craving plasma. Plasma! Sucker hands! Plasma! Oh, Morbius. What happened to you? So anyway, <laughs> pulling us out of the ditch. Hey Annie. Yeah? I hear you're into the giant robots now. <laughs> I love these fucking robots. Okay, listeners, if you have not listened to the entire, let's call it the Sims family of podcasting products, in addition to the Gem Jam and I Will Fight You and other things, Annie has, well, fairly recently, how long ago? This probably would have been, I'd say about a couple of months was when I started reading them. Annie has begun reading Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. 
also spoken previously on this podcast with Kit Walker about this as one of my favorite comics of all time. So, Annie. Uh Uh-huh. I bet you have some feelings about these gay robots in space. God damn it! (laughs) I know who these robots are now. Like, Transformers is always something that I remember happening as a kid, but, like, the timing just worked out so that it wasn't quite the thing that I got into as a kid, but we had, like, a whole bucket full of Transformers toys, so I at least had some kind of, like, attachment. But, like... I just, all this fucking robot drama. <laughs> it has my favorite ship in it. Like the Lost Light or the Rod Pod. No, no, no. I mean my favorite character ship. And one of my favorite ships is big, scary, silent one who is completely devoted to the little bubbly one. <laughs> oh, you're talking about my robot babies. You're talking yeah. about Tailgate and Cyclonus. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> fucking am. God, angry. <laughs> You know, I thought that my heart was going to be broken enough by this gay memory stick and his gay needlefinger husband. (laughs) Who turns into a real cool car. (laughs) Yeah, I thought they were going to really do me in. And then this fucking dark horse comes out of nowhere after a real rough start to just steal my heart away. Because, listeners, here's the thing. We could probably describe this to you. We are not going to do it justice. Cyclonus is a former Decepticon who turns into a spacefaring stealth bomber and has two horns on his head and is basically the equivalent of, like, a samurai. Because he's, like, you would think that he's just, like, evil serious guy, but he also is, like, he's almost Kurosawa. He's, like, he's stolid, he's uh, loyal to his own cause and his own moral code, which is, like, very, like, old freaking world. He knows a lot about really old Cybertronian religion. He sings. He sings. He sings a funeral dirge at an opportune moment. <sighs> because in the original cartoon, Cyclonus is a bad guy. He is unequivocally a bad guy. He is Galvatron's sidekick. He's basically Galvatron's producer in that Galvatron is nuts. Like, crazy cuckoo bananas nuts. And Cyclonus is the one that makes sure things actually get done. He is the level-headed, cool-headed one with this raving, omnicidal dictator at the helm. There's even one episode of the original cartoon where Cyclonus takes Galvatron to therapy. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's bad. (laughs) Although, my favorite thing was they, they sit Galvatron down at a table, and they, like, give him, like, blocks and stuff and, like, parts of machinery. And they're like, we sit the patient down and we have them create something that, you know, helps them visualize their problems. We find that the use of the hands and this very kind of simple action can unlock a lot of things in the psyche. And then Galvatron builds a pistol, stands up and screams, get me out of here and starts gunning people down. And it's (laughs) amazing because you see him going, get me out of here. It just starts blowing people away. Jesus Christ. Kids. For kids, Annie. But yes, so Clonus was always the level-headed one. So when you talk about someone who's going to kind of do a face turn, he's kind of a prime example because he was never really in it for your cause. He was doing it because it seemed like the right thing to do for him in that moment. And so there's this beautiful kind of evolution of his character and then eventually his relationship with Tailgate. Tailgate, this beautiful robot baby. This very, very old robot baby. Cyclonus was the only other guy he knew on the ship. Through a series of extraordinary circumstances. Thing is, while Tailgate is extremely old, he also spent a bunch of that asleep. And so he doesn't really know anything about the current politics or anything. And so makes friends with the Decepticon on the ship. Because, hey, he talked to me. He's cool. Seems all right. Got a cool purple ship mode. We could be friends. He believes the best about others. Yep. Because <laughs> he's too perfect. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> he doesn't give up on him. 
even when the Cyclonus is very mean. And Cyclonus early on gets, because he's got these two horns on his head that form the nose cone of his plane mode, and he gets one of them knocked off and broken, and Tailgate makes him a new one. Oh, God damn it. And my favorite thing is when you look in, like, fan art and stuff, and that you see, depending on whether the horn is complete or incomplete, is where Cyclonus is in that story. (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. And, of course, because James Roberts enjoys watching us suffer in that Whedon-esque way. And this may be a spoiler, but at one point, Cyclonus saves Tailgate and is, like, carrying him down a hallway and is being shot at from behind and uses his body to block the bullets... And then, and then falls, he, oh. he whispers, goodbye, little one. Ah! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. And that's after, of course, they're running away holding hands. And Tailgate's like, D- do you know about the four rights? Which are basically the things that you do as a gay robot to make someone your husband or wife. <laughs> your life partner and like he flashes back to all these things along the road that have been done for both of them it's like that thing like there's currently a gif rolling around which is where the old general iroh from legend of korra and he's saying you know sometimes the best way you can help yourself is to help someone else and the minute it says someone else the gif then becomes a flashback of all of zuko and iroh's interactions throughout the entire series oh no and then it cuts back to iroh just kind of smiling gently to himself and i'm just like ah i feel personally attacked that breaks my heart. How dare you? Oh, God damn it. Now you're dangerously intersecting in like the two very weak points of my heart, which is that type of ship is my favorite. And also like basically like friggin' villain who turns into a begrudging good guy. Oh, yes. Or the beast from Disney or in its older form, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> I'm sending you a picture, which is a commission that I had Jojo Seams make because Jojo Seams is a great artist. And she was like, oh, I'm doing some commissions. And I'm like, hey, there's some robot babies I need you to draw. And it's going to be popping into your Skype in just a second. I was very, very descriptive of the type of pose I wanted it to be. This is going to hurt me, isn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, at least this relationship is vaguely canon as opposed to Zutar. Oh, no! Yes. Listeners, I have sent a picture that Jojo Seams drew for me, which is Tailgate jumping onto Cyclonus's back and hugging him while Cyclonus looks vaguely miffed. No. <laughs> Tall, scary one who's completely devoted to bubbly small one. <laughs> Fucking weakness. <laughs> I also, at one point, because I was doing a lot of shoe shopping because I am my best version of myself and I do a lot of shoe shopping, I had decided to work out what characters were what sneakers in More Than Meets the Eye. Really? And I sent it to a James Roberts, who has approved these. So this is going to make for some terrible radio, (laughs) but I'm going to send you a link to a tweet. You must be, like, drowning in the potential of being able to, like, officially buy tiny baby shoes now, huh? Oh, here's the thing. Like, look, I enjoy shopping for clothes and shoes and other things, right? But here's the thing. If you could buy Mm -hmm. me an entire outfit of cool clothes for, like, $6, I'd have a lot more clothes. (laughs) Baby clothes are cheap. Oh, man. And we live in a time that is rife with awesome kids' clothes. And you can look. See, I've basically picked out shoes for Tailgate, Cyclonus, Swerve, and Rodimus. Oh my god, they're even like old-fashioned chucks. Oh yes, because the old-fashioned chucks that are white with the sky blue interior are Tailgate. 
the super sleek Adidas ZX in purple with black trim. Our Cyclonus, of course. Swerve has some 80s Air Jordans that are red with embroidery and the gold swoosh that look like they would have been worn by Marty McFly. Oh my god. And Rodimus is a ridiculously overcomplicated pair of red and gold hyperdunks with flame decals. God, it's a fucking nightmare <laughs> shoe. I actually bought a pair of those on sale and I ended up like selling them on eBay because they look amazing, but they are the most uncomfortable shoes I have ever worn. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like Rodimus though, doesn't it? Because they don't bend. They're not meant to be worn. They're meant to be looked at. Yep. So yeah, I actually put them on eBay as worn twice and then came to my senses. Serious bidders with PayPal only, please. For sale, Rodimus shoes, worn, worn twice. twice. <laughs> <laughs> with regrets. But yeah, I actually made the mistake. I wore them out to someone's party and ended up at a bar where I could not stand up anymore because my feet were hurting so badly. Oh, wow. So I basically like set up at a couch near the dance floor and just had people bring me gin and tonics <laughs> until I was loaded enough that I could hobble home. Well, that sounds like an evening out in dress <laughs> shoes. But yes, speaking of anybody who's looking for a shoe they can wear without dying, go find some of the Kohan Nike tie-ins because they look like leather brogues, but they're secretly sneakers. I found them in LA on a trip over there and I bought them and I wore them every workday for three years until they literally fell apart off my feet. Wow. So anyway, we were talking about gay robots in space. Yeah, they break my <laughs> fucking heart. I think what really works is that the comic reads like fan fiction because his kid has informed me it is written by a guy that writes fan fiction. Oh, yeah. So it reads like fan fiction in the best kind of way. It's one of those things where I saw someone write it once where Transformers comics used to be where writers would try and show off what they remembered until James Roberts came on and then he expected us to remember stuff. <laughs> oh, and also this comic about gay robots now also has uh, Transformers, which is pretty rad. Yes, with new bodies and pronouns and all kinds of things. Yeah, that was a really good page. An excellent page. Even before that, I mean, you've got, I mean, Kit and I talked about it when all of the female Autobots turned up and it's just like they tried out the genders and that's cool. You've got Nautica, who's a giant purple nerd. <laughs> With a wrench. It's true. The lady Transformers are all near and mm -hmm. dear to my heart. I had that episode of the original series, the one where they had female Autobots, where you had Elita 1 as the pink female Optimus Prime, and Firestar and Chromia, and all of them long before RC turned up. And I loved them right up until the point where it was like revealed that every one of them was a girlfriend of a Transformer that was on Earth. And I'm like, suddenly I'm less interested. Like, <sighs> Of course, Firestar, who turns into a space fire truck, is the girlfriend of Inferno, who also turns into a fire truck. That's not why I'm here. Even as a kid, I'm like, that, uh, that doesn't feel right. Can we not? It's amazing, like, when you internalize those sorts of patterns mm -hmm. as a kid, like, oh, the color-coordinated ones have to be, like, boyfriend and girlfriend, because they're always boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, friggin', the fact that we were doing that to the point where Mulan 2 was like, oh, those colors match up. Those three are going to hook up with the three rejects yeah. from the first movie. Mulan fucking 2. And the thing is, that's so sad, because Mulan is one of my favorite Disney movies. One of the ones that repeat watches, of, that my little sister watching it over and over and over and over again every morning when I got ready for school, did not burn out of my mind. Here's the thing, I can never walk into a business meeting and have someone sit down and go, all right, let's get down to business. To the feet. <laughs> yes. The Huns. Also, on the DVD version that I have, there's an extra where Jackie Chan acts and sings that video. Oh, that's right, because he was the Chinese dub voice of, uh... Of Shang. Yeah, yeah, and it has him, like, doing the staff thing where they throw shit at him and he knocks it out of the air. He does that. Oh, J 
Jackie Chan is oh, a treasure. He's amazing. Jackie Chan is too good for this earth. Oh, yes. That was the other thing I was going to say. When we met the female Autobots, one of them was named Chromia, and I accepted that as a transformer name until they paired her up with Ironhide. And I went, motherfucker. <laughs> you cannot pair up Chrome and Iron. Not fair. Not allowed. And Inferno and Firestar. Even their names match up. And Optimus and Elita. And it's like, oh, stop. Yep. Just stop. They're the girl ones. If there's one thing that I don't fucking mm-hmm. miss at all from, like, 90s and 80s cartoons, it is the girl one. <laughs> but they're still doing it. <laughs> they probably shouldn't, but they do. The cool one. The rebel one. The leader one. The girl one. <laughs> Hang on, I'm trying to think of the third one, because it was Chromia, Firestar, and... Dang it. You oh. mentioned Chromia, Firestar, and Alita. Was there another one? Alita was the boss. Moonracer was the other one. Moonracer. And, of course, she was the... Who was she paired up with? The flighty, shitty one who got everyone in trouble, but was a friend of Power Glide. A friend. Uh-huh. <sighs> the girl one. The girl one. Exactly. <sighs> and it, it's a story I mentioned on another recording. Buying baby clothes and the kind of bullshit gendered stuff that comes with that. <sighs> oh, yeah. Wow. I bet that's exhausting. Almost as exhausting as the Native American appropriation in baby clothes, especially in Australia. Oh, what? Oh, it's huge. Oh. To the point where I've started screen capping it and just sending it to James Leask so we can be angry together. Oh my god. Wait, are you talking about like, now you're in Australia, is the, are we talking about like native, like aborigine or are we talking about like native, like Northern American? Oh no, we're talking specifically Native American because for Australians, they feel that, oh, that's different. You know, that's not a real thing like the aborigines we have here. It's, oh, it's. Oh my god. It's fucking bullshit. Like, here's the thing. I was at like a bedding store, like buying like, you know, a, the equivalent of a duvet cover for like a kid's blanket uh-huh. and they're like oh here's this pattern and this is part of the little warrior room oh no and i looked at the back and they've got a pillow just with like eagle feather headdress on it that said little warrior what and i went Ugh. oh no why would you do that oh it gets worse then you've got for example little t-shirts for little boys that say my little brave on it <sighs> or my absolute the one that I actually couldn't even screen cap to send because it just made me so angry, which was one with like a picture of a teepee and like some feathers around the outside. And it just says, running wild. I can't even begin to unpack how wrong this is. And this is sold in like the equivalent of a Walmart or a Kmart. With no fucking shame. None. None at all. Oh my God. And it would be... Like, it would almost be one thing if you put it, like, next to the Peter Pan Disney stuff. Because there's some problematic shit in that movie. And that's one of them. Yeah. So it's like, you can almost say, okay, well, clearly they're taking it from that. But Disney's too smart for that. At least modern Disney mm-hmm. is too smart for that. They, you know, they figured out that there's things you can't air on television anymore. <laughs> Song of the South. But it's, yeah. Like, I just look at some of that stuff and I'm like, that's problematic as shit. But when it comes to the gendered stuff, like, here's the thing. My kid came out a month early. So he's pretty small. And so... The selection of clothes that we can get for him is kind of limited. And also, the amount of clothes that we had bought before he was born became restricted because he's not a 4-0, he's the small side of 5-0. So if you put him in, like, you know, a hoodie, the hood is bigger than him. You could fit him in the hood. Oh, no! I will find a photo as I'm talking. But what, so what's happened is that when, you know, the various midwives and nurses will come to the house to check him out, they'll be like, okay, well, you know, he needs to be wearing, like, booties and, like, a jacket or a cardigan or a hoodie pretty much all the time because he needs, like, an extra layer from what you would wear. So if you're wearing, like, you know, a heavier shirt, 
he would need like an extra thing like you know like a little tank top or something underneath or whatever just to like give him like an extra sort of layer of padding or or uh, insulation exactly because he loses heat a lot faster than mm. you know you or i would oh sure and that's fine so we normally we like you know double layer him and i was at the store and then like they don't make cardigans or hoodies or jumpers or whatever for babies that small they make like sleeping suits and singlets and that's about it and so when i find one i like jump on it what it is i found a cardigan it's like a black cardigan with white trim and it's got little white bows on the pockets and i'm like that looks small enough and it's like eight dollars cool i'm gonna buy that and bring it home and i get to the cash register and the lady looks at me and goes oh how old's your baby and i said oh he's coming up on four weeks now but he's a little small and she hears he and goes Oh, that's a girl's cardigan. It's a baby. Who gives a shit? Yeah, and I think she saw my smile get glassy. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't care. He needs a cardigan to stop him from dying. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'll just ring it up, shall I? I'm like, yeah, yeah. How about you ring it up? Oh, I found the picture. I am now sending you a picture of what happens when you buy a four-zero hoodie for a five-zero baby. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes. The littlest bab. <laughs> He's too small. He is, in fact, too small. Oh, goodness. Especially for the hood. The hood could almost fit his entire body. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. By the way, I've realized that on this show, it used to be my default small talk Mm. would would default to, like, my cats and my dog. And very quickly, that Mm. has changed to, let's talk about my baby. (laughs) This has been years in the making now because I've known that kids are something that I do want to have. That's been something that I've always been pretty certain of. So I have had friends that I have told, like, look, I need you. I'm giving you free reign. When I have children, I need you to stop me before I become the mom that posts ultrasound photos and too many baby photos on Facebook. (laughs) Because there's going to be a switch that gets flipped and I might not be able to stop myself. I need you to stop me. You have my permission. I feel I've ridden that line. Because I, I was worried about that too. I didn't want to become... The thing is, my friend Alex put it best. Alex Hardison, Ukrit on Twitter, put it best. He's like, Lucas, mm-hmm. our friendship survived when you were newly divorced and got a kitten. It can survive your baby. <laughs> and very quickly, like I watched the Simpsons episode when Maggie makes three because it was like fortuitously on a month after I had my baby. And I saw the bit where the photo oh, album no. and it's all pictures of Bart sleeping. And I'm like, how, how did mm-hmm. they get my Instagram on this television show? From 20 years ago. (laughs) Oh, no. Because here's the problem, Annie. I'm a new dad, and I'm a photographer. (laughs) That's trouble. That's right here in River City. Uh, There were already, like, in his first, like, 10 days, uh, because Kimiko and him were at the hospital for 12 days. Starts with T, that rhymes with B, that stands for baby. (laughs) That rhymes with P, that stands for Polaroids, because there are many Polaroids of my baby. (laughs) Like, I, I can reach. I am within reaching distance, even with the short cable of this laptop. Hang on. To a stack of Polaroids that I took the first week that my baby was born. Oh, my God. Hang on. I am going to send a picture of the six Polaroids I have just dropped onto my computer. Okay. Oh, and this was while he was still in the hospital. So it was like the nurses were coming in and they're like, oh, cute, new photos. The first time. <laughs> That is a pile of photos. I bought a little Canon photo printer just to print them out. I had not owned a printer in maybe eight years. Oh, that's... 
I'm going to have to write that down. That's a really yep. good idea. Because look, here's my thing. Here's my mm. perspective on this. As before, I know that I want to have kids and we close on a house on Tuesday and we're finally Ooh. going to have enough room to like actually have cool. a child. And I've got like less than a year left on my subdermal birth control. So like this is approaching on the horizon. So I am using this as living vicariously. Excellent. Okay, I will give you my knowledge as a f five weeks of dadding. That's a lot more experience than I have okay. dadding. Here's the thing. It's not as bad as everybody tells you. Really? Here's the thing. And the thing is, I've talked about this with, with my friends who are also parents. And I was really scared about this coming up mm -hmm. to when my baby was born. Here's the thing. We are currently at a great stage where people can talk about how sometimes parenting is really hard. And it is not magical, and it is not this perfect thing that happens where nothing ever goes wrong. So there's this great community where, for example, I will point to Travis McElroy's little four-minute speech about open letter from my baby, which everyone should go and listen mm -hmm. to because it's fantastic, where he talks about how being a baby sucks, and so therefore they make sometimes being a parent suck, <laughs> including the point where you find yourself saying to your infant child, I will give you $1,000 if you stop crying. <laughs> It's like, there's that. And it's like, I know that a lot of my friends feel a lot of pressure to be like perfect parents. And it's great that everyone can accept and go, no, being a parent sucks sometimes. Having this moment where you can say, no, this is really hard. And sometimes it's, we're doing the best we can. That's fantastic. Only problem with that is that a lot of the friends that I have are in that now freed up to say all the bad shit. So I take all of that on and I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna be overwhelmed and a hermit and exhausted <laughs> and like covered in crap and just like living this horrible waking nightmare for the first year, if not longer. <laughs> Tell you what, it is not that bad. There are bad times, but surprisingly, you kind of got this, you know? Huh. Or at least I do. Which, I mean, you would think, I mean, people even say, you know, we've been having children for millennia. Hopefully at some point there would be an intrinsic ability to at least, like, mm. handle it. And I've had a lot of kind of condescending crap from a lot of very well-meaning friends. Like, oh, look how natural you are with the baby. Because you're, you know, a guy. Mm. Mm. And I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, I do have a 13 years younger sister. I was 13 or 14 and holding a baby. I know how to hold a baby, you know? <laughs> and it's like, look, I, I'm afraid to go and watch three men and a baby now because I have no idea how they were confused by a diaper. <laughs> like, honestly, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, see, this is all going to be new for me. I'm the youngest on, like, both mm -hmm. sides of my family. Like, honestly, you can treat a diaper change like you're a pit crew at a NASCAR race. You set everything <laughs> up and then just, like, drop the baby into the middle of it and just, like, go. <laughs> right? Clear. Go. It's pretty easy. Then again, I have had the occasional diaper jailbreak to steal a line from, from Travis McElroy. Oh, God. <laughs> the structural integrity is failing. Set up the inertial dampeners. They're not holding. <laughs> we have a hull breach on deck five. Travis McElroy is such a treasure. He is. Uh, all of those boys, those good, good boys. They're yeah. good boys. Annie, are you excited for that Adventure Zone finale? Oh my god, I just, I don't, I feel like I'm not going to be able to listen to it in the car like I usually do with podcasts. Because I have, I have like an hour long commute in the mornings. So I usually listen to podcasts on that. And listening to this potentially penultimate episode, this most recent one, had me crying like a baby multiple times in the car. And I need to be focusing on driving and not my heart breaking into a million pieces and swelling as it fixes itself. Yeah, uh, my friend Dan once referred to it as that, <laughs> for example, listening to certain episodes of Radiolab when you're driving is like stepping down three prescription levels when you're at the optometrist. <laughs> and it's dangerous to drive that way. 
Like, you yeah. know, the one about that <laughs> premature baby where the dad's reading Harry Potter to the baby in the case. Oh, no. Oh, no. And he's like, I had to pull over the car because what if the baby doesn't find out what happens to Ron and Hermione and Harry? <laughs> oh, no. And I'm just like, no, Dan, save yourself. But no, that Adventure Zone finale has so much good stuff coming up. And it's like, we're only in the part two. We're in the two towers of that Lord of the Rings. And there's like some big like emotional pickups. And you'd never find yourself wanting to cheer and cry when a terrifying anthropomorphic elevator turns up as a mech. <laughs> Which, by the way... Oh, God. I posted my sketch of my Upsy Daisy Jaeger design. That was really good. And someone's actually vector drawn it and made it into a real thing <gasps> that would look good on a t-shirt. And I'm going to find it and put it into the chat. Oh, my God. Because I just like sketched that thing out when I was pretending to be working. And oh, my God, someone's come back and made it into a thing that could be like tampographed on an action figure. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I mentioned this in sort of our Adventure Zone yeah. Twitter chat, but one of my big weaknesses when it comes to media are the scene where all of the characters come together for a common goal. And usually like all the characters from the previous iterations or people that they've touched in the past or people they've wronged or hurt or mm. tried to save, people come together to help the heroes achieve their goal and... They couldn't do it without them, and that's what that entire episode is. Oh, you talking about that misfit mobilization moment? Yeah. Is that like a is that is that a thing? Is that a TV tropes term? That is a TV tropes term, and that is when all of your shitty characters who run into you, everyone comes together because this is important, and they have yeah. to help. And oh, yeah, it's so good. And it's just like all of the, just all of these characters, it's been just these perfectly placed cameos in everything in here of just, oh my god, that looks so good. Doesn't it? Don't you want to just like stamp it on the shoulder of like a Jaeger or something? Absolutely. <laughs> but it's just like all of these characters that have come back, little bits and pieces, characters I forgot, old jokes that are perfectly placed and just sort of a gentle reminder of simpler times and just... A cart full of Tom Bodets turns up, Annie. And the proper polarization is Tom's Bodet. <laughs> God, the battle wagon. Oh, Harley and Sloan. <laughs> You're gonna be okay. Because, yeah, everyone lives today. That's why. <laughs> it's the same kind of feeling that, like, the best iterations of Superman give you. Yes. Or even, like, I mentioned the Everyone Lives. Even, like, those good episodes of Doctor Who. Those good ones. You know what the ones I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Where you see, like, you know, David Tennant standing up and saying, no, this isn't going to happen. Or even that bit of Wonder Woman where she walks into no man's land and yeah. says, this is bullshit. This stops right now. Oh, so good. Which I don't know if I told you or not. Apparently, like, because there's a point in pregnancy where the baby, like, turns around and, like, gets head down. Uh -huh. And it feels like the biggest kick the baby has ever done. That happened during that scene in Wonder Woman when the music kicked in. <laughs> because I'm watching it and Kimiko's next to me and I hear her go, ah, fuck. And I look over and I'm like, what? She's like, that was the biggest kick I have ever felt. I'm like, yeah, that's because the guitars just came in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But yes, the Adventure Zone finale. Can you believe that a D&D podcast where they make jokes about how murdering someone gave them a boner in the first episode has become this incredible thing. It's been just a wild ride, though. Like, it's just been really fascinating. And what's really made it interesting is watching this thing and the McElroys, by extension, become more popular 
just in sort of fandom spheres. Like, because mm-hmm. I found out, this was maybe about three, four years ago. It was like, I listened to a podcast that recommended Sawbones, and then I started listening to Sawbones. And from there, I'm like, I'll give this My Brother, My Brother and Me thing a try. And then like that, and then the Adventure Zone started. It's been just interesting to see that, especially ramp up in like the last year. Of course, that's also meant that because this is the modern internet, all of the good things and all of the bad things about having a fandom on Tumblr have happened. Oh boy. Oh boy. And especially because all three of them are so sensitive and have such great moral compasses. Mm-hmm. Seeing, like, I actually, Griffin especially, just reacts to things so well and gives everyone so much of his time and energy and just accepts so much that I actually start to worry about him. Yeah. Like, I think he's taking on so much. And I just, like, I want to just put my arms around him and keep him safe. It's weird because it's like you don't want to fetishize these people, these actual people. Yeah, they are still actual people. But yeah. you also, it's hard not to just at least be impressed by their genuineness. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where... And I'm going to bring it back to professional wrestling because I tend to with a lot of things. (laughs) Two days ago, I went to a live event in the Paddington RSL, and I saw the PWA show where Will Ospreay came in and did a match against Robbie Eagles, who was a neat wrestler that I had seen at one other show. And I thought, oh, I'll go see because he's taking on this international superstar. And what followed was legitimately the best live wrestling match I have ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I've been to Japan and seen Dragon Gate at the Croacoan Hall. (laughs) <laughs> this left it in the dust. Honestly, like I, at the end of it, everyone was just exhausted and hoarse. And like <laughs> at one point, Robbie Eagles grabbed Will Ospreay by the back of his neck, cleared away some spectators and threw him into a sea of fo- of chairs, of like those folding metal <laughs> chairs that people had been sitting in a minute ago. And he landed and just like cleared those chairs out of the way. And I actually, without realizing it, blurted out to the person next to me that I did not know, I just want everyone to be okay. <laughs> And because it was that kind of crowd, he turned to me and he went, yeah, me too. I think we all feel that a little bit right now. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the group of folks that have come to be known in our household as the brothers. Like it doesn't matter which podcast, whether it's The Kind Rewind, whether it's Mabim Bam, whether it's The Adventure Zone, Kimiko will look at me and go, are you listening to the brothers? I'm like, yep. (laughs) I just, I want him to do well and I want him to be happy and continue making good things. Yeah. I hope they don't get fandom interaction burnout. Yeah. They would be completely within their rights to do so, but I really hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, because, wow, toxic fandom burnout, that hits a lot of folks real hard. So in conclusion, everyone go listen to all of the Adventure Zone and come and talk to me and Annie about it. Yeah, please. (laughs) We'll even add you to our Spoiler Zone group, our group DMs on Twitter. (laughs) It's a good group. There's a lot of good discussions in there. All right, Annie, so we're just about out of time. So if people wanted to find yourself on the internet, where would they go? Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Anniezard, that's A-N-N-I-E-Z-A-R-D. Yes, like Charizard, but with an Annie in front. My podcasts are in a couple of places. The Gem Jam is at Gem Jam Cast on Twitter and thegemjam.tumblr.com, I had to remember there. And then I Will Fight You, uh, we also use the Gem Jam Cast Twitter account, but you can also find us on crookedrussiancam.tumblr.com. <laughs> All right. Which is, I guess, our general entertainment network, which once the Gem Jam wraps up, more or less, like with cartoon episodes, we're going to have to figure out how to, like, transfer all of that. (laughs) Because, spoilers, we're in, like, we're in the tail end of season three of our cartoon recaps. There's going to be more comic stuff coming out. And also, Chris Sims sent me the Choose Your Own Adventure books that they made. 
Oh my god. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna have to do something with that, but like our gem stuff is gonna be cooling down. You've got Gem Infinite coming up. Yeah, we recorded the first couple episodes of Gem Infinite. Those have come out, and there's, like, the rest of that thing coming out. And it heavily involved our son, Techrat, so I'm happy. <laughs> Hopefully it keeps the good aspects of the cross-time caper without going for 20 fucking years, like, like it did in Excalibur. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> I mean, there's not enough Alan Davis hair, but what can you do? But instead you get, what, Jen Bartel hair? Is it, who's, who's drawing it? for the most part. Jen St. Ange is doing the Misfits Oh, yes, Jen ones. St. Ange, yeah. Yeah. And her hair is real good. Yeah, yeah. There was no end to good hair in the Jen comics. It's very true. Like, there's been a ton of different artists that have done the Jen comics, and, like, all of them have had such good things to do with Jem. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. All right, Annie, so thank you so much for coming on. This went all over the place from <laughs> Mummies Alive to Parenthood to, <laughs> to McElroy's, but I'm happy you've come back. I'm so happy to come back anytime. Hopefully this is made for at least a vaguely entertaining video. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Thank you very much to Annie Creighton for her time. Eagle-eared listeners will remember Annie's original cocktail was based off an incredibly detailed description that she gave me, and so when I named it, I couldn't name it anything but the Annie Creighton. However, since then, that cocktail has joined my repertoire, and I have frequently busted it out at parties. It also makes a surprisingly good hangover cure. Go figure. So drawing on the information Annie gave me, I've come up with a new drink, which I've called the Firestar. In a shaker full of ice, combine one and a half ounces of cognac, a third of an ounce of extra dry vermouth, half an ounce of honey syrup, which is made by combining equal parts of hot water and honey, a third of an ounce of lemon juice, a quarter ounce of creme de banane liqueur, and a dash of Angostura bitters. Shake vigorously and strain into a pre-chilled cocktail glass. Garnish with a cinnamon stick. Sophisticated, strong, and independent, this drink is no one's sidekick. Enjoy. is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. Fair warning, though, I did have a flurry of activity all throughout August and September, so I'm pretty much full for the rest of the year. But if you've got a great topic, I'll give it a shot. 
You can follow the show on Twitter at The Math of You, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. You can pledge as much as you want as well. They don't tell you that on the website, but you can. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating or write a review. I'll even read a review out on the show. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a Spotify playlist updated with all the music I use in the show, all the way back to episode one, including this one. It's Milwaukee by The Both, which is Amy Mann and Ted Leo, and it's a great album. You should really check it out. I update the playlist as soon as the episode goes live, so make sure you subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, it's the return of Melissa Bright, and I'm not going to give much away, but I just hope everyone's hungry. Join me, won't you? Behold, my ability to choose between two similar options is a combination of Melvar in the Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like, behold, my second different power. (laughs) And he blasts Welshie. Right. And the other one is during the one where Fry dates a Lucy Lubot. And he's like, look, uh, it's something like the effect of I can talk and eat at the same time. You should write a book, Fry. (laughs) People need to know about can eat more. I love the way you can do two things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, show was so great before it got crap. <laughs> oh, God. I just... What? Oh, man. I tried to watch the movies and, like, I tried to watch the new seasons and I just... I liked the first movie because it was clearly going to be the one movie they were going to do. And then the others very much felt like, okay, here are three episodes we've stitched together. Yeah. But no, uh, Bender's Big Score was fun because there was all the time travel nonsense. That part was good. And the Doom Quotient. That's such a good idea. <laughs> the minute you have a time duplicate, you raise your Doom Quotient and at least one of you is going to die. <laughs> like, within seconds. Like, you know, a plane will come in and crush one of you. <laughs> yes, I can't. Oh, which cat is that? That's Tesla. That's the grumpy old man, baby. <laughs> so you have two, right? Yeah, I've got Tesla. He's the gray tabby. And then Ika is the calico. Hello? Yes, hello. <laughs> yes, hello. You, you continue to be a Tesla. <laughs> I've had Bolin in my last recording walk up and just like headbutt my leg. Oh. <gasps> like, hey, Bolin's my gray tabby with the one eye and Olive's the black one. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah, I know Bolin. He's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> And he's weirdly longer and bigger than he seems to be. Really? Because he's, he's like thin, like a weasel. Uh, and uh-huh. so, and he's in fact now taller than Olive, which he wasn't for a long time. But it's just like, he's like weirdly compressed like a spring whenever he sits down. <laughs> and then occasionally you'll pet him and he'll stretch out and you go, wow, there's a lot of you. <laughs> You're like a Beetlejuice sandworm. You just extend and more of you just keeps happening. Come for your daughter, Chuck. <laughs> don't, don't say that while I'm sipping coffee. <laughs> Because you said it, and I just pictured that claymation lip curl. That, exactly. 
but I have to show you something because I was just recording with Dan Mulcairin from the Smash Fiction podcast. We got into talking about 80s cartoons because I am who I am and I'm living my truth. And he was talking about how he was too young to probably see a lot of those shows on TV. So he would get them at video stores. And I then remembered, oh my God, all of the amazing Transformers VHS covers. Because what, what happened is that there was no standardized VHS covers. So all the production companies had to make their own. No way. And what uh, FHE did is they released these comic book style, like hand-drawn covers. And they would always have like word balloons and like three, four panels on the back explaining the startup to the story. What? It was like some Jimmy Olsen shit. Like, <laughs> oh my God, the Dinobots are attacking. How can we get away from this? I have to wear four different Autobot suits. Yep. <laughs> Looks like I'm going to have to jump out the window. <laughs> Alright, I'm dropping four of them into the chat. Oh. Holy shit. It's fully animated. <laughs> These are beautiful. There's one which is just coming through now, which has the front and back, which I think is my favorite. Because A, you can see that the VHS slipcase has been crushed. Because someone put that on the floor when the tape was in and someone stepped on it. Aren't these great? These are so good. Oh my god. But that last one is my favorite because it has the four panels on the back. I love this. And it's like, you got to think, this is someone who has seen the show once, has no idea of the fiction, and is told, hey, you should make a thing that gets kids to pick this up and hand it to their parents. My god, did it work, though. Look at that. That's right. I know FHE. I remember that logo. Because, <laughs> yeah, it was that, that awful chroma key, like, drawn-in FHE. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. I'll read the thing. I'll get close up on the mic and do my Vince DiCola voice. Having taken control of a hydroelectric dam, the Decepticons lay further plans. We've captured the power station, Megatron. But how will we hold it? Here come the Autobots. Wait and see, Starscream. I have a surprise awaiting them. It's a trap. The clip is giving way. Oh no, the water will immobilize our circuitry. Which doesn't happen in the episode. Uh, and soon, the helpless Autobots are at the mercy of Megatron. Decepticons, prepare to fire. Destroy the Autobots. Uh, can't break these. Energon chains. Wait, what's that? The Dinobots. But are they friend or foe? Oh, I love the Dinobots. They're so dumb. <laughs> oh, that's so good! Are those both supposed to be Starscream on panels one and three? Oh my, yes. <laughs> this is back. Oh, yeah, if you look, he's got the visor in the first one and yeah. the eyes in the second. It's like Devastator, how, depending on the episode and the animation company, he'd have eyes or a visor. Uh, I'm Team Visor. The visor always looks better. <laughs> but yeah, especially those early, like, first six or seven, there were just, like, endless clones of Starscream like in purple or gray and they would always die and because Transformers is Transformers every one of them got a backstory in fiction yeah yeah didn't that end up being a thing in like the Transformers animated one? Oh yes yeah the one that had the girl that turned out to be a robot like there were like five Starscreams running around right mm -hmm. and what was great is that each of them like multiplicity style had a different aspect of his personality oh god <laughs> and so you'd have one that was a coward and one that was like a literal compulsive liar in that everything he said was the exact opposite of what was the truth. <laughs> I'm upset that someone else remembers multiplicity. <laughs> but my favorite was the female clone. And he's like, what aspect of my personality do you represent? And she's like, you don't want to know. 
yeah, then some of the comics before they were the amazing comics that we know now ran with it, and Sunstorm became his own character, which was a yellow clone of Starscream that was shown in like two episodes of the show. <sighs> Why not? Because <laughs> Transformers fans never let anything go. Oh man, Transformers fans. <laughs> Sunstorm is the Corellian bloodstripe of the Transformers universe. That sounds like some really specific Star Wars niche thing, and I already hate it. It's the red stripe on Han Solo's pants. There's apparently oh, a reason. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <sighs> I can hear your teeth grinding from here. I love Star Wars, but I hate so many Star Wars fans. <laughs> and on that note... Annie, for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh fuck, I haven't been recording. I have, don't worry. Should I start? Yeah, hit record, why not?